Today, we will talk about the shift in Turkey's foreign policy. I'm very happy to have the opportunity to interview two distinguished guests that will be sharing their opinion and knowledge on this topic. My name is Livia Benko, and I am a research fellow at the AIES. And with me today is Sofia Maria Satanakis, Senior Research Fellow of the IES, and Katrin Zeus, Project and Event Manager. Hello, ladies. Thank you for being here today. Hello, Livia. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's a pleasure for me too. We will start today's debate with you, Sofia. So the first question for you is, Turkey's NATO membership seems to be going through some challenging times. How would you describe Ankara's relations with and its place within the alliance? Well, first of all, I think we should keep in mind that Turkey is one of NATO's oldest member states and the most important troop contributor when it comes to missions and operations next to the United States. Due to its very special geographic location, being at the crossroads between Europe and Asia, the country is of strategic importance to the alliance. Although NATO would surely be weaker without Turkey, the country is increasingly turning into a source of insecurity. In recent years, there has been a striking shift from the country's original zero problems with neighbors approach towards a more independent and confrontational foreign policy with Ankara pursuing an expansion of its sphere of influence. Just to name a few examples, Turkey procured the Russian air defense system S-400 back in 2017, which if deployed might give Russia access to information about NATO air defense systems and could therefore pose a considerable risk to the alliance. So as a result, the United States reacted by removing Turkey from the F-35 fighter jet program. Tensions intensified once more when the US imposed sanctions against Turkey under the Countering America's Adversaries Through Sanctions Act. These sanctions put a ban on all US export licenses and authorizations to Turkey's Defense Industry Directorate and an asset freeze, as well as visa restrictions on the organization's president and also on other high-ranking officials. Another point, another example, are the country's military actions in northern Syria back in 2019, which were also heavily criticized by the alliance. Third, we have uh, President Erdogan, who repeatedly threatened in the past to reject defense plans for Poland and the Baltic countries, also known as Eagle Defender, if the alliance did not classify the Kurdish People's Protection Units as a terrorist organization. And finally, a more recent example, we have the opening of Turkey's borders to the European Union back in February last year, which caused a new influx of migrants to try and cross into neighbor Greece, which of course led to additional tensions between the two. Ankara and Athens share a rather complicated past, but I think we will get to more of that later on. Perfect. Thank you for the detailed elaboration on this matter. Uh, yes, these negative developments are present. However, as you said, Turkey is an important strategic partner for NATO, and therefore we have to hope for some more positive trend shifts uh, in the near future. Uh, let's move to our next question. With Joe Biden being the new president, can we expect a change in Turkey's relations with the United States? Well, it's important to, to always keep in mind that in the past, 
before Joe Biden became president, uh, that he was often critical of Erdogan's policies anyway. But this does not necessarily mean that he's not appreciating Turkey's geostrategic value. So I would say that in an attempt to avoid any additional confrontation with the country, President Biden is expected to explore areas of potential cooperation, particularly against Russia. Also, in close coordination with the EU, he might try to alter Turkey's foreign policy course and try to preserve a solid diplomatic and security relationship. And of course, efforts to restore relations with his fellow NATO allies, which have been seriously strained, as we know, during the term of Donald Trump, will be very high on Biden's agenda. And Turkey is one of those allies. However, with topics like human rights and the rule of law returning to the center of US foreign policy, and also now uh, with the recognition uh, from the US administration of the Armenian genocide, friction with Ankara seems almost inevitable. Yes, I agree with you that Biden's uh, administration may bring some improvements and that he will enhance the potential cooperation with Turkey. But uh, let's move on to uh, another complicated relationship, and especially a complicated relationship is that of Turkey and Greece, particularly the ongoing gas dispute in the Mediterranean uh, regularly made the front page news. Can you give us uh, a brief overview of the situation? I will try, uh, gladly. Um, as I mentioned before, the Greek-Turkish relations are difficult, to say the least, and they have been marked by various crises over the past decades. And one of them concerns natural oil and gas reserves and maritime rights in the Mediterranean region. So to sum it up, if that's even possible, tensions run high with Turkey surveying for potential energy reserves in an area Greece claims to be part of its continental shelf. Then we have the East Med Gas Forum, which was established by Cyprus, Greece, Italy, Egypt, Israel, and Jordan in order to create a regional gas market and Turkey's exclusion from the negotiations, as well as the maritime deal between Turkey and the government of national accord in Libya, which further inflamed the Mediterranean geopolitical tensions. After a temporary easing of relations where both sides expressed the readiness to take up talks under the NATO umbrella, the dispute intensified once more. In autumn last year, Turkey announced that its Oruç Reis survey vessel would continue its operations near the Greek island of Castellorizo, which is located just two kilometers from the Turkish mainland. So you can imagine how close that actually is. Put simply, both Greece and Turkey have been conducting military drills and sending warships to the region. And the Mediterranean quickly became a kind of multi-stage theater for demonstrating military power and engaging in geopolitical competition. And all this, as we can imagine, confronted the European Union with a particularly difficult mediator role. This is indeed a highly complex and sensitive situation. Therefore, would you say that the gas dispute will keep us occupied also in the future? Definitely. I would definitely say so. Uh, the crisis in the Eastern Mediterranean will surely remain a pressing issue uh, in the months and years to come. Uh, first of all, because with energy taking up the largest share in Turkey's overall imports, it is vital for Ankara to secure its share in a growing contest over this region. 
And even though the dispute between Turkey and Greece over exclusive economic zones is actually a long-standing one, the mounting tensions of last year clearly showed us that a military collision between NATO allies is not just a remote possibility. We also had a similar situation back in 1996, meaning a near escalation of the relations of the two countries. Okay, uh, let's focus a bit more on the EU. How did the bloc react to all this? Uh, which measures were taken? Well, the diverging interests of the EU member states regarding Turkey explain very well the difficulties the bloc faces in adopting a unified approach towards Ankara. For example, we have France, who is pushing for a more independent European security policy and for strategic autonomy, and it also pushed for solidarity with Greece. A good example would be the joint military training exercises between Greece, Italy, France, and Cyprus. On the other hand, we have Germany, who is also the home of Europe's largest Turkish diaspora, and Germany is encouraging a dialogue-based approach. Then we have, for example, the Baltic countries who are in favor of a smooth relationship with Turkey, because through NATO, Ankara plays an important part in their national security. And of course, here in Austria, we call for heavy sanctions and the country is in favor of officially terminating Turkey's EU accession process. Summing up, a common European line regarding Turkey seems very unlikely. And even though Greece and Cyprus, we haven't mentioned Cyprus here much, but I will include it now anyway, even though both countries have the theoretical backing of the European Union, the bloc has so far refrained from any stringent action against Turkey except maybe for limited sanctions targeting individuals and companies responsible for drilling in the contested waters in the Mediterranean. Okay, uh, and can you elaborate a little bit on the uh, fact why the EU is following this cautious line? Yes, absolutely. The main reasons for this are concerns that President Erdogan could and probably would retaliate by reinforcing, for example, ties with Moscow or by reducing counter-terrorism cooperation or even by encouraging more migrants to pass through to Europe. It's important to know that the continued Turkish adherence to the famous migration deal of 2016 remains to this day, I think, uh, of paramount importance to the European Union. And the same goes, of course, for a fully functioning transatlantic alliance, which Turkey is an integral part of. NATO, at least in the, in the foreseeable future, will continue to represent the main framework for European security and the importance of close EU-NATO cooperation on all defense-related issues and security challenges cannot be overstated. So in case of a renewed escalation of the gas dispute, we would be confronted with a deadlock situation, which would have a negative impact not just on EU-NATO relations, but also on Turkey's bilateral relations with individual states. Right. Uh, thank you, Sophia, for your rich input uh, on these complex matters. And uh, we now move on to our next guest, Katrin. Um, thank you for being here again. And the first question for you is, uh, the cases of NATO and Greece are no exception when it comes to Turkey's offensive foreign policy. The country is also involved in, the, in other conflicts, such as uh, Libya. How did it come to Turkey's involvement there? Thank you, Livia. Um, well, yes, 
You're right. Turkey has shown much engagement in conflicts taking place in other countries. And its engagement in Libya is yet another example of the shift in Ankara's foreign policy. In November 2019, President Erdogan convinced the UN-backed GNA to sign a maritime agreement declaring the naval corridor between northeast Libya and southwest Turkey an exclusive economic zone which violates the maritime boundaries of Greece and Cyprus. In return, Ankara promised to provide the TNA with military equipment and training personnel. However, this was not the first time that Turkey pursued an agreement with Libya that would define the boundaries of both countries' continental shelves. Ankara has tried to reach such an agreement already in 2010, which was then rejected by Libya. However, Turkey continued to pursue its ambitions and used the unstable situation in 2018 to its advantage, widening its influence in the region. It was not until November 2019, however, when Libya agreed to the demands in return for military support. Shortly after signing this agreement, the Turkish parliament decided in an emergency session to deploy troops to Libya, despite the harsh criticism from the EU and the NATO that such military involvement could further destabilize the country. The operation's first and foremost objective was to put an end to the attacks by the Libyan National Army and their attempt to overthrow Tripoli. In late spring 2020, the Turkish forces, as well as Syrian militants that were deployed by Turkey to fight in the Libyan conflict, together with the GNA, succeeded and ended the struggle over Tripoli. Uh, now that we have elaborated on what happened, uh, can you also tell us why Turkey got involved uh, in the Libyan conflict? Uh, well, yes, of course. Um, the reasons why Turkey is actively engaged in the civil war in Libya are twofold. On the one side, there are geostrategic reasons. This is because Turkey is increasingly isolated in the Eastern Mediterranean and its involvement in Libya poses the possibility of an advantageous geostrategic repositioning of the country. On the other side, the reasons are of an economic nature. This is because the economic ties between Libya and Turkey have been strong in the past. This is due to several reasons, such as the vast natural resources that Libya offers, but also due to the potential of the construction market, which has actually attracted Turkish firms already since the al-Gaddafi era. However, due to the Arab Spring uprisings in 2011, Turkey had to withdraw economically from Libya, which resulted in a huge economic loss for the country. And nowadays, Turkey suffers from a declining foreign direct investment, a plummeting lira, as well as the inaction of the government to fight the COVID-19 pandemic. And therefore, the country hopes to gain significant medium-term economic advantages by strengthening ties again with Libya. These advantages could include possible lucrative gas discoveries, 
as well as opportunities to establish a long-term exclusive relationship with Libya's central bank. This would actually turn Istanbul into a hub for regular and irregular financial services linked to the Libyan economy. However, it is questionable whether it will yield the much needed strategic leverage for Turkey. Moreover, the growing impatience of various international actors such as France is putting further pressure on Turkey. Nonetheless, not all European states are skeptical towards the country. Italy, for example, is aware of the need to protect its economic and security interests in Libya, which is why it sets a more conciliating tone towards Turkey. The separate military drills Rome conducted with Ankara, as well as with Athens and Paris, being case in point here. Yes, but uh, the Libyan conflict is not the only one where Turkey is actively involved in right now. Is that so? Yeah, you're right. For example, Turkey was also engaged in the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict last year. Okay, and, and um, could you also tell us a little bit more about Turkey's involvement in this conflict? Yes, of course. However, in order to do so, I think it is necessary to first understand the complexity of this particular conflict. So Armenia and Azerbaijan have been engaged in conflict for more than 30 years, dating back to the collapse of the USSR. In the Joseph Stalin era, the region of Nagorno-Karabakh had been placed in the Azerbaijan Soviet Socialist Republic, although the majority of its population was and still remains Armenian. Later, in 1991, the Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh declared their independence, which resulted in a war with Azerbaijan, as the latter refused to alter its borderlines. The war was won by the enclave with Armenian support and was temporarily brought to a halt by a ceasefire in 1994. Nonetheless, the region was never recognized as an independent country, not even by Armenia, and is still until today considered as a part of Azerbaijan by the United Nations. Fasting forward to last year, on July 12th, the combat flared up again when Armenian military attacked Azerbaijani troops, causing several casualties. More than two months later, fighting between the two opponents started once again and lasted this time for six weeks. This time, however, the military conflict was different. Turkey got actively involved in the conflict and supported Azerbaijan. It did so by providing military equipment, especially high-tech drones, training, and deploying Syrian militants. This was the same strategy it has already pursued in the Libyan conflict, as I explained before. Armenia, on the other side, was supported by Russia through military assistance, such as a military base in an Armenian city. This active involvement of these two countries transformed the local dispute into a regional one. The battle then came to a halt when a peace agreement initiated by Moscow was signed by the Azerbaijani and the Armenian leaders. Nonetheless, Baku left the battlefield as a clear victor, while Armenia suffered a bit of defeat. However, 
the real winner of this war is Turkey. Therefore, uh, Turkey hasn't been involved in the conflict up until 2020, the same as in Libya. Could you tell us why Turkey engaged in the conflicts as well? Uh, was it again due to geostrategic and economic reasons? Well, in this case, the reasons why Turkey got involved are way more complex. Ties between Ankara and Baku have always been strong based on a shared culture and the Turkish language, as well as the fact that Turkey, the Turkey has actively supported Azerbaijan after the separation from the Soviet Union and with its integration into international organizations. Moreover, an active interference in the conflict is also in alignment with the new Turkish foreign policy strategy. The effective support of Azerbaijan puts Ankara in the position of a direct opponent to the Armenian supporters, which are, from the Turkish point of view, the co-chairs of the OSCE Minsk group, which are the US, France and Russia. Additionally to that, Turkey shows ambitions to become an influential international actor alongside and competing with the United States and Russia. A mutual assistance agreement, as well as the establishment of a strategic partnership between Ankara and Baku, signed in 2010, further strengthened the alliance. So there is an emerging trend in Turkey's foreign policy, so to say, right? You can definitely say so. The involvement of Turkey in yet another war once again demonstrates the shift in Turkey's foreign policy and puts the country at odds also with Russia. It is not the first time for Ankara to find itself as the rival in a foreign proxy war against the Kremlin. As already said before, this is also the case in Libya as well as in Syria, where Russia and Turkey, similar to Nagorno-Karabakh, have split the areas of conflict into zones of influence. What adds to the complexity of the situation is the fact that the pipelines which connect Azerbaijan with Turkey and supply the European Union with oil and natural gas closely pass by the conflict zone. This raises additional international interest and draws once more Brussels' attention on Turkey's actions. However, the EU's engagement in this conflict should not be determined by its troublesome relations with Turkey, but rather through the resolutions of the UN Security Council. To sum up, I think it is important to understand that even though nowadays Turkey is pursuing a more resolute and dangerous foreign policy strategy, it remains an important player on many current global challenges like migration and regional stability. Absolutely. If I may just very, very briefly cut in as well, Turkey is a very important partner for the European Union, and therefore we believe that the Union should engage more actively and try to steer the relationship with Ankara in a constructive direction, as good as possible, in order to find more common ground. It is imperative that the EU pursues a careful balancing act, meaning successfully confronting Turkey's unilateralism on the one hand, and on the other hand, preventing bilateral tensions from influencing effective policymaking at the EU level as well. Thank you. I, I have to say this was a great discussion and very valuable inputs from your sides. And uh, I would hereby like um, to thank you for being here today, brainstorming and sharing your thoughts. And to our kind audience, 
stay tuned for, for our next podcast episode. Uh, thank you for your attention and stay safe. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you, Livia.